0: Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. for hanging out on tpq20 um we always like to start things off by saying we know who you are but our audience may be new to you so if you were to kind of give the bio that's not on the back of the book the one your publicist doesn't have uh or that your twitter account doesn't have maybe uh, who are you
1: well you know i think it's interesting that you guys have because I never, you know, you never think about that. But um, I get labeled as a lot of things and I would probably say that I think of myself as a poet who doesn't want to be labeled. (laughs) Okay. Um, So there's that off top, but I would also probably say Gosh, my bio changes too. Like, and I think it should, right? Yeah. A full person. Like, if it's just a list of your accomplishments, then your resume is your life, and that's kind of sad. Right. So. And I think that's the thing. Like, I think that's why we started.
0: uh, Why we kind of started asking those questions. My wife, uh, who's who's my co-host for the first couple seasons of this. she started. Uh, she started asking, you know, about the bio that's not that that the publicist doesn't have because it's the more personal approach to things. It is the one that changes. Um, it's not. Right. We found. Out, we we stumbled on a bio of mine. I play music in the Portland area. We stumbled on a on a bio that's been used by uh, one of the venues I've been playing for almost twenty years now on a like almost weekly basis. That still says for the last ten years. Um, <laughs> And that kind of sparked the conversation of why, what, what's going on? Why hasn't this bio changed?
1: Right. And so I struggle with that for that reason. It's like, everybody wants you to name your accomplishments. They don't talk about you being, you know, a loyal friend. They don't talk about what kind of music you listen to. I mean, I've seen some zany bios. I don't think I'm ever going to write a zany one. (laughs) Um, But I would probably say Tara Betts is the girl who kept the promise to her 12-year-old self that she would be a writer. Ooh, I like that a lot. That would probably be in it.
0: That's good.
1: Um, Not
0: a lot of people keep that promise.
1: Yeah, I think that's I I don't think I'd be here now if I hadn't done that.
0: Yeah. And now now I gotta ask then, was that just uh you were sitting alone one night and said, you know what? I'm gonna be a writer, or what was the what was the
1: purpose of that promise? Well, I mean, one, I grew up in Kankakee, Illinois, which sometimes appears in my bio. And <laughs> it's a small town, it was very much run by factories at the time when I was a child. Now, most of the factories are gone. And it really brought down the economy, but I was one of those kids in my family that was considered the smart kid. And everybody's dream was for me to go to college. And I wanted to go to college too, because I wanted to escape Kankakee. You know, when you're... (laughs) You don't wanna live in a small town. You feel restless, you think you're missing something. And, you know, by the time I finished college, there was that dream that I would always had as a kid that I wanna write books, I wanna share my poems, and maybe I have something that's valuable to other people that I can say, you know? So that's always kind of been the interior bio for me.
0: Yeah. What would uh, what would twelve year old Tara say back to you now? Yeah, she'd be
1: like, "Wow, this is how we turned out." (laughs) Because you know, I mean, now I'm three books in, and I've edited some books. I've taught at colleges. I got a PhD and an MFA. Into other countries, like, and you really got out of the hometown. I did, you know, and then sometimes I'm a little bit sad about it, but then there's other times I'm, I'm very excited. Um, you know, cause now people, they say crazy stuff. Like I am my ancestors wildest dreams. And my mom didn't get to do all of these things that I got to do. Right. Or even my grandmothers, you know, when you start thinking about it like that, it's like, that's, that's wonderful. That's what your, your precursors want for you is to, maybe live a better life than they could have.
0: And have you, Have you? do you feel like you have, how do you feel like you've, you've done
1: there? You know, I think I've done all right. You know, there's sometimes, you know, I wish I had kids, but then how I'm also, you have so many students. Then I'm also, I have one, yeah. huh? so you have so many students though. I have a lot of former students. Yeah. And, and the ones I'm probably closest to, are are adults and some of them are teaching college now (laughs) right but um it's it's kind of exciting to think about that that maybe I, i i taught i was the pebble that got thrown into the water and made the waves ripple out there you go and and that's very compelling to me however you know it's not the same at christmas time and stuff like that but maybe it's not supposed to be maybe i'm supposed to enjoy having a quiet place where nothing gets broken unless I break it.
0: Hey, you know, it has its perks.
1: (laughs) I can sleep as late as I want. So not so bad.
0: (laughs) So then beyond, you know, the 12 year old you uh, giving yourself a promise and advice that would come to fruition, what are those other passions you have that maybe aren't in that writing world Um, or that maybe aren't in the writing world,
1: but lend themselves to it eventually? You know, it's been interesting because I've been wanting to write more prose. I'm slowly inching into that. Um, But I've always loved music. Mm. That was some of my first early publications was writing about hip hop. So, you know, I, I got into it through that window. And now I have friends who write about music. I've, run, I've written a little bit for the Sounding Out journal, which is a journal, online journal for sound studies. Cool. And so I got to write about Muhammad Ali and when he, you know, how his voice is a sonic character. Um, I've written about Angela Davis, Asada Shakur and Kathleen Cleaver and like, what did their voices bring to um, when they were sampled in hip hop songs? Mm. Oh, so I like that. Okay. Yeah. So it was kind of fun, you know? And I, I stay in touch with one of the editors because she was on my dissertation committee and we're good friends. Um, but it's like, I think because of the music and because I was writing, I was able to, to kind of match these things that I loved, and I've just been thinking, you know, I see all these these novels and memoirs that are coming out by poets, and I'm like, ooh, mm, so I won't be alone if I do it, you know. I but, like that. I do like
0: that trend as well. It's been I, right. it, it, one of the things you know, I get to talk to a lot of a lot of poets, and and it's been interesting to talk lately about um, Donnie Rose, and I had a good conversation the other day about the idea of that poet turning, you know, other things, other genres into poetry still, mm-hmm. you know, the reminder that critical work can still be poetic, um, and that you can have multi-genres now, and still find your home in that poetry in there, mm-hmm. and I, and I like that, so, I mean, I think that idea of a memoir, but a memoir
1: is poetic in, in a lot of ways, I mean, it really is, and I think good fiction does that, too, yeah, It really does. And I've been thinking a lot about visual art because there's so many talented Black visual artists here in Chicago. Mm. Um, And I, you know, there was this brief moment I thought, you know, I'm going to go. I thought I was going to do library science. Then I was thinking, you know, post PhD. So, because I've always loved libraries. My first job was in the Kankakee Public Library. So I'm like, well, if this academia thing doesn't work out, just let me be in a place with a lot of books, you know, that would make <laughs> me happy. But um, so I've worked in a couple libraries since, and that's always exciting to me, you know. I'm like Audrey Lord was a librarian, I could do this. There you go. <laughs> um, so I think about that, and one of the things that I noticed too was as I was working, I worked in the MCA, the Museum of Contemporary Art here in Chicago, I worked in their library one summer. And I was like, wow, I wonder if I can kind of amass enough art education in the short time that I'm here to write about art more. So I was so quick with getting my tasks done that they would want me to do. They'd be like, you know, you can read at your desk, nobody cares. And I was like, oh, okay. There's a (laughs) job. So I would, you know, get everything done. I was super efficient. I spent a lot of time rehousing archives from their previous exhibits where you put stuff in certain types of folders and you catalog everything. I did at least five years of that that summer. But then it was like, I get to read books, you know. And now I'm kind of like inching into writing more about visual art, too. Ooh, a couple of visual artists that kind of caught your eye first that, that we should know. about. Yeah. I'm trying to think, what was the last thing I wrote? Because I don't write about it all the time. Right. Um, shoot, what was that thing? Anyway, um, I wrote a piece about an exhibit that, um, I can't remember the guy's last name. It was Atu Ribeiro and, and I could send you the names and the thing, and his friend. And I looked up the friend, I'm looking up his name, Conrad Ajir. Okay. So Conrad, I really love his work. He does portraiture that's very stylized mm-hmm. and he puts these pops of color in them and these little objects and like little, You know how you buy those little African sculptures that look like fertility gods and stuff. So he puts like those in his work, like the show that I saw, he had a lot of those in the portraits. And I was like, I feel like I've seen this before. And then I did a little reading on him and some of his work was in the Beyonce Black is King Ah. video. And I was like, oh, okay. That's why he was looking around like, what are y'all doing here? (laughs) You know? So, but Conrad and Atu who does these wonderful pieces where he uses wood to um, refashion them. So they look like quilts almost. That's cool. Yeah, it was great. And it was like this little intimate art show in a gallery space here in Chicago. Got to write about that. Um, I remember back in the day, I used to read a lot on the open mic scene as well as, I don't know, a little known person called Theaster Gates. who would read at some of those readings and sing. He still sings, hmm. but um, he used to write poetry too. So I think everybody in Chicago who's a creative, you just kind of lend yourself. And I think in a lot of other cities too, I'll say that. Yeah. Um, they end up kind of cross-pollinating with these other mediums because artists are always hustling. But I'm really excited Absolutely. that Idea of collaborating with these things that I enjoy in another way, or I'm building this narrative of what's happening in them in my head and processing it through words. And, you know, I was thinking about it. And I said, well, the rapper Vic Mensa is curating this show at a gallery downtown. I want to check that out. And then <laughs> I want to check out, um, Nick Cave's show because his sound suits are at the MCA this summer and that's cool. You know, Sapphire and Chris, Sapphire's and Crystals, which is a black women's artist collective here in Chicago. Um, they have a show and one of the women in that collective did the cover art that's for my first book, Ark and Hue, and now the new book, there's a woman who's I didn't even know they were in the collective. I just really like their work. See?
0: sometimes sometimes thematic
1: work uh sticks with you it does it really <laughs> does and you don't know how those passions can intersect to kind of lead you there you know Definitely. if I was a stronger crafter I might be like knitting too you know <laughs>
0: So, what is your as somebody who does you know work in different genres and definitely as someone who who might be moving into another genre yet uh, mm-hmm. with more visual aspects to it, what is your what's your process for for writing and crafting? Are you someone who has any superstitions? Do you have like the you know the fourteen candles burning and the couple set, uh, sticks of incense, or are you uh, a mm-hmm. nine to fiver when it comes to writing, how do
1: you how do you uh, how do you put together your work? Well, for me, I know. I used to be very disciplined in terms of, I would get up and write every day. I don't do that anymore. Um, Because one, I found that I would do things that were very repetitive and it wasn't as exacting as I wanted it to be, you know, and I just have other stuff to do. It's like, you get busy and you're like, okay, I really want, and also too, I can't write manually like I used to I used to do everything longhand right. and if it wasn't like a book review or a paper or an essay or something like that I was I couldn't do that longhand I just do the poems and my journaling hmm. but now it's like it hurts too much to write more than a page so yeah. I'm trying to be more efficient with the body that I have
0: <laughs> has that I mean real question is has that Uh, knowing that has that changed the way that you write poetry at all you know
1: I think if I know I'm gonna write like with a pen and paper which I still love and sometimes with a pencil um I just know look you better cut to the chase and say (laughs) what you really want to say (laughs) <laughs> like there's no beating around the bush. Right. Like, when I journal, like when I journal, I just write whatever comes to my head.
0: Yeah. That's
1: kind of the way I've trained students too. I'll be like, "Look, you got to get used to not cutting yourself off." Yep. But if you kind of know what you want to say, or you're you're a little bit closer to being confident about what you want to talk about, you don't have to. I call it sweeping. You're sweeping the room like because this this whole head feels like a room sometimes so (laughs) when I do that it's like you know your brain is just super busy like you're thinking about the kids you got to talk to and you got to interview and you got a grant to finish and you got to clean the house and you got to you know you still haven't read books for the Sealy challenge like there's all the things you want to do and you're thinking about that more than I saw the rabbits in front of the house today. Right. Or, you know, I keep thinking about how everybody thinks there's a gun in your face in Chicago, you know, and something like that. And then I know that's the start of a poem. Nice. As then, opposed to, I got to do this, this, and this. The dishes right. are still dirty, which comes up in a journal entry.
0: I don't know. That could be quite a poem as well, though. It can be. The scraping off of dishes can be quite uh,
1: quite poetic. <laughs> you know, I can't, have you ever seen that book, The Poet's Companion by Kim Adonizio and Dorian Lowe? I don't think I have. It's a book I use to teach a lot and it's so inexpensive. It's like under $15 paperback book, but it's probably one of the more comprehensive books and it has a ton of writing prompts in the back. But in one of the first chapters of the book, I cannot remember who wrote this poem, but it's a poem about washing dishes. And after I read that one, I was like, okay, unless it's good like that poem, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I like that. That makes sense. That you works. Know, It has to be a good poem. Right. So
0: uh, what have been, what have you found then have been kind of, you know, and maybe, maybe the teacher answer somewhere in there as well but what have you found has been the best way to work with any pitfalls or roadblocks that you've kind of come across uh, mm. over over the course of your career? Um, or are you someone who who has taken those roadblocks and made them a part of your work? And then mm. what's your
1: best way to get students out of those roadblocks? Well, because I think because I do have marginalized identities, right? I do think about that a lot. like if you're woman, if you're black, if you know, or even like my experience, like some people might think because of how I represent in the world as a light skinned person, you know, or an older person now. Cause I'm not like, a kid anymore. I was thinking it couldn't be more than 23, 24. Oh bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I you know, I feel like I'm in my 20s. I'm just a little bit heavier and a little bit grayer you know and it isn't until I'm around people in their 20s that I remember I'm not in my 20s or you know your knees are like you're not 25 (laughs) but um yeah um I think about how for most of my writing career it has been how do you okay, how do you just circumvent the obstacle? Like somebody tells you no, what's another way to do it? So a lot of the time that I've been writing and publishing, that's been the thing, it's like, what's the way around it? Mm. What's the way around it? Like I just would keep, it's almost like I would visualize it like a maze in my head. Like you hit the one uh, wall of shrubbery and then say, okay, I can go here or here, what's the next one? you know, and sometimes it's really hard to keep your focus when you keep recalibrating like that. Right. But I think I'm getting more used to it now. And just realizing we can't control our trajectory. And that's the thing I worry about when I look at other writers sometimes now, because we're in a culture that has corporatized poetry. And I'm like, I don't know how long that's going to work for everybody, you know, or if it's supposed to work like that. And I mean, it's nice if we win prizes, it's nice if we get on certain types of presses. But sometimes I see books and I'm like, clearly, this is not about the merit of the word. Right. You know, and I mean, I've read many, many beautiful books, too. But I also feel like I can't sit there and speculate on that all day. Mm -hmm. Like, what can I learn from it? What can I do so I feel inspired and motivated? So it doesn't feel like you're writing for a check. Hmm? So it doesn't feel like you're writing for a check. Not writing for a check, but also writing the thing that's true to what you really have wanted to say. Yeah. You know, and that's hard if you want to eat if you want to pay bills and you want to put money in the bank yep so i mean i thought teaching that would be the thing but you know as we know i mean even some of these positions particularly in the university level um they're they're about the politics and the culture of the institution that you're at yeah i don't think that changes for i mean i'm
0: been in high school and middle school teaching for 20 years that doesn't change at that level I the, politics oh, no. of the business is
1: yeah Wherever you go,
0: the the publishing world of the of the academia world is is mind blowing to learn the more I learn about about expectations and uh relevancy factors and things like that are are uh, pretty overwhelming for uh, for mm-hmm. college professors
1: I think so and I think there's a certain level of Toxicity. <laughs> yeah. like I've, I've been thinking a lot about what's the sister's name I think her name is Lorgia Pena and her book is called Community as Rebellion I believe it's a little pocket-sized book almost but she was talking about all this work that she did yeah Community as Rebellion Lauria Garcia Pena um and she was teaching at Stanford or someplace like that, like one of the Ivy Leagues. Right. And it she went through so much and did not get tenure. Mm. Programs were evaluated as stellar, publishing was on point, you know, community service activity was on point, mentoring students, all of that didn't get tenure. You know, and I think of Nicole Hannah Jones and that whole debacle right. with her not being granted tenure after the 1619 Project. So I think more so about stuff like that kind of politics where they just totally flout the ideas or yeah. flout you as a person based on your identity or how you stand in the world. And- It's good for a bit for a moment. You know, high school students, they gonna want you to do good work and they gonna want you to show up every day. Right. So I think Yes, you can deal with the inter-office politics of the adults. But I think there's also some acknowledgement when you work in high schools or you work as a teaching artist that you're a human being and you should not just live to create scholarship and be in you know indentured to the academy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. There's a little acknowledgement of your community. <laughs> I'll say that.
0: So as we venture toward the finish line here, um, we always kind of like to wrap up by figuring out who are you reading these days? You know, who, uh, who, what poets or writers are out there that you're excited about? And then uh, what is out
1: there for us to find from you? Okay. Um, what have I been reading? I just finished reading, uh, what's the name of it? The Negro Asylum for the Lunatic Insane by Linville Lawson,
0: because
1: mm. I wrote a blurb for it. Um, I've been reading, I'm writing them down too. Um, I've been Water seeing Bay Bay I appreciate too. it. Huh? said, so I've
0: been seeing that and I appreciate
1: it. <laughs> yeah, because I realized some of these names might be tough if you don't, I'm trying to think what is her yeah there's another young woman Nikki Walschlager yes I've been reading her book Water Baby yes um so I'm almost done with that and what's the other one because I'm I am reading books for the ceiling challenge I I've been mentioning Destiny Bird song I really like her work a lot with negotiations and I've been trying to get through nobody's magic because I keep having ADD and I'm having time to a time finishing novels. But
0: Destiny's what a I've
1: read so far, hell of a writer.
0: <laughs> huh? Destiny's a hell of a writer. There's a, that's that's a lot
1: of power yeah. there. And and super sweet as a person too. Very like I, I really we did a talk for my book earlier in July. So we were like I'm so excited! We can actually chat. I'm (laughs) excited about you, you know. Like, and I love that aspect about when you start doing readings because then you have this excuse to interact, right, on a social level in a way that's like everybody's cool with it. (laughs) 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 We're excited. Um, I've also been reading this book because I I decided to do this herbal apprenticeship with Garden this summer, which I've kind of been trying to, I got to get back to it, but I had COVID, and then I went on book tour, so now I'm like, "Ooh, I hope I can keep doing it, but it's this book called Working with the Roots. Okay. Um, I'm trying, I think the author's name is Michelle Lee, so... I basically have books stacked all over my house. You can kind of see from the background. I know. (laughs) I keep
0: trying to look. I know it's in podcast land, but I keep trying to look at all the book titles behind you. So the Josephine Baker and March books are obviously the most uh, the most prevalent. prevalent Oh, bad. Yeah,
1: graphic novels are so thick. (laughs) Um, But this one, like, it's a stack of stuff. Like, there's a couple visual art books. There's a book of alternate fairy tales. There's um, Hilar Ramirez and The Escape from Zafra*, which is actually ah, yes. novel. so good. Yes, and Julian is is one of my little, we call each other nephew and auntie. So <laughs> love it. You know, so I haven't seen him in a minute. I did call him this week and was like, What are you doing, kid? To do. I, you know, I do, I talk to him like he's one of my kids. Oh, he's,
0: he's doing all right as a finalist for uh, for Ruth yeah. Whitley,
1: So For the second time, he's a two-time right. <laughs> finalist. But the so, poems, he's been working on her. Oh. So um,
0: where can we find your work? What is out there that we can uh, direct people to? And uh, what's coming up for you? Okay, people can
1: find my work. Um, my new book, Refuse to Disappear, is actually... I know it's on wordworks books website it's on spd books and now it's on amazon i didn't realize it was on amazon but since i made the spd bestsellers list i'm kind of like telling people just get it from spd there you go congratulations money to the devil (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, those conversations oh spd you know amazon yeah so i've been sharing mostly the spd link but Hopefully, it'll be up on Bookshop or IndieBound very soon if it's not there already. Awesome. Well,
0: fantastic. We look forward, as always, to reading your words and sending people your direction. Thank you so much for hanging out on TPQ20 today. It was an absolute pleasure to talk with you, uh, and I look forward to seeing what's to come. Thanks, Chris. So delighted to time with you. Have a great rest of your day. Me too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.